having a good week? Great week. Walking with Jesus, I'm telling you now, it's a constant discovery. It's a constant journey as we walk with Him down through life. It's wonderful to see how He comes into situations that sometimes we think He can't come into. It's just wonderful just to walk hand in hand with Jesus down through life and just to see Him never leave us, never forsake us. It's a real experience. It's a real life experience when we walk with Him. Amen. A few weeks ago, uh, we began to look at Romans chapter 12. Uh, That's where we started, and we began to think about how our lives can change, our life experience can change when our minds change. I began to speak to you about living in the power of a renewed mind, living in the power of a renewed mind. There are lots of verses in the Bible that think that speak about the way that we think. The way that we think is important because our whole life experience comes out of the way that we think. God is interested in the way that we think. He knows the challenges that each one of us have in relation to the areas of our mind. You know, sometimes all of us, I think we can look back on life and see all of the rubbish that we picked up along the way, all of the baggage, all of the, you know, the garbage that's been put into our minds, whether we've put it in or whether others have put it in with, you know, with, with, without our permission. And we can look back and we can see how all of this stuff in our mind on occasions crops up and hinders us and tries to stop us going forward into the great things that God has for our lives. God wants to help us with the way that we think. We need help. The first thing to, you know, experiencing a transformation in your life is to actually acknowledge the fact that you need help with the way that you think. Don't ever be ashamed of putting your hands up in the air, your legs up in the air, and saying, God, help me. I need help with my head. I need help with the way that I think. I need help with the way that I look at things, the way that I relate to people. I just need help because I want to walk in everything that you've achieved for me. And in order for that to happen, God has to get to the core. God has to get to the control room of our lives. And that control room is our mind, our heart, our spirit. Now, I'm telling you now, if we will give God access to our mind... If we will take our hands off, if we will stop holding on to old patterns of thinking, old ways of doing things, and just say, Lord, please come into these areas of my life. I've been hiding away in them. I I haven't wanted anybody else to address them. I don't even want you to address them. But if we can back up and say, look, Lord, you've got access to all areas. You've got access to all areas. Those, those, you know, those closets of my life that may have got things in that you know, I've kept locked away and I don't want anybody to look at and I don't even want to address them myself. If you'll give God access to all areas of your life, you will experience wonderful, I will experience wonderful transformation. You see, Bible says lots of different times that it's... In the area of our thinking that life is experienced. 
For instance, there's a little verse in Proverbs. It's so powerful. It's so accurate when it begins to describe life. It says, as a man or a woman thinks, so are they. You see, you're thinking your thinking develops your expectations and your expectations have this way of becoming your experience in life. So it's so important to think well, to think thoughts that are not just, you know, messages from this world around you, but actually words from God. It's important to get at the core of your, at the core of your life and at the core of your control room, your heart, those promises that God has spoken to you in order for your expectations to be framed, in order for your experiences to be gained and formed. God wants access to our mind. Paul knew this when he spoke to the church. In Romans chapter 12, he speaks these words. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, I believe. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to this world. I said last time that that word conformed is a very powerful word. It means to be shaped. It means to be molded. It means to be squeezed into a cast, into a mold, for your life to be shaped and fashioned after the messages of this world. And Paul stands up against all of the messages that were queuing up to assault the people of God. And he says, listen, Refute all of these messages that are coming to you, that are bombarding you, that are queuing up to get into your head to frame your world. Refute them. Don't be conformed to them. Stand up against them. Those thoughts that that say that you're not good enough, those thoughts that make you feel guilty, those thoughts that say, listen, you haven't got a future, those thoughts that are going to keep you under the heel of somebody else, stand up against those thoughts and say, do you know what? No, I am not going to go with that. I'm not going to be pressed and squeezed into that mold anymore. Those days are over. On the the promises of God, I'm standing on the word of God, and I'm I'm going to refute those thoughts. They were back there, and they're still present today, and we've got to stand against them. He says, don't be conformed to the messages of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed that you, listen, and this is the reason for this transformation in our thinking. Because God is going somewhere with all of this. Be transformed in the renewing of your mind that you, that's you and me, friends, that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God doesn't want you to just get a load of facts in your head. God doesn't just want you to become one big memory verse box that you can quote the Bible. God actually wants you to prove, to actually prove in life experience what His good and perfect will is in a day-to-day living situation. He really does. It doesn't mean to say that life, you know, will you know, cease to be challenging. It doesn't mean to say that you won't get some, some surprises along the way. But because... At your core now, in that control room, you have God's Word. Because, you know, at the center, you have His promises residing and His Word living within you. Because of that, you can deal with life. You can stand toe-to-toe with life and go through 
into everything that God has called you to go through into. I tell you, he's got great plans for us. Every single one of us. I'll tell you why. Because he loves us. He loves us so much. Jesus died for us. He really did. He really did. Do you know, I was, when I was looking at this verse and just thinking about our time today, my mind went back to a time when I was learning to drive. And uh, you know what it's like when you're learning to drive. First time you jump in the driver's seat, you've got the instructor by you, everything's going well, you're really nervous. And I remember the first moment when I sat behind a wheel, I had my instructor there, he could see that I was shaking, and he looked a little nervous because I was so nervous. And I remember the instruction he gave me to turn the keys in the ignition and start the car up. And then my foot went on the wrong pedal. I was pressing the clutch instead of the accelerator, and he had to correct that. But you know, when you, when you start to learn to drive, you haven't got any kind of coordination. You don't know what pedals are what. You don't know, you know what, where the indicators are or where the windscreen wipers are. You don't even know how to move the car forward. You don't know, you know really anything about the gears. And you don't know how much of a danger you can be to other drivers when you're learning. That's why you need an instructor. But you know, as you go through that whole process of being instructed in learning how to drive, you begin to get a rhythm. You begin to lose, you know, all of the, you know, discoordinated actions, and you begin to get rhythm. As you're learning, you know, you're approaching the junction, and then you, 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 you begin to slow up before the junction, and then you get to the roundabout. And as you're listening to the instruction, as you're taking on board the advice of your instructor, there's, you, you begin to get a flow, and you, be, you, you get confident, and you get competent to the point where you take an examination, you go through your examination, and you pass your test. Woohoo! Anybody pass their test? Oh my gosh, it's like being famous. I remember, right, I passed my test. It was in Merthyr Tidville. Where's John? John McCann. Hey, come on, Merthyr Tidville. I passed my test in Merthyr Tidville. I went up the Dowless and over the Gurness and up Swansea Road. He took me everywhere, all the hardest routes, and I passed it. I tell you what, if you can pass your driving test in Merthyr Tidville, you deserve a medal. And I passed my driving test in Merthyr Tidville. Why? Because I'd listened to the instructions of my instructor. And over a process of time, I became competent. So I passed my test, and then the next exciting experience after you've passed your test is that you get to drive a car on your own. Woohoo! I can never forget that day, that sunny day when I was driving my Chevette Estate, light blue. It might have had stripes on it. And I, 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 I was living in Ebervale with my, my nan and gramp, and off I went, driving my car. I didn't know where I was going to stop. I might have gone, you know, I, I, I was just going and going and going. I just wanted to drive all day with the windows down and the music on. It was fantastic. And I was, you know, you, in those first moments, 
you're being very particular about the instructions that you've received because now you're driving on your own. And you have competence, but you're not so confident because the instructor's not by your side. And I remember just being very careful. But then it's funny, isn't it? Over time, you've got the confidence, and your confidence may lead you to be a bit arrogant. And you begin to change the instructions that you've learned from the instructor. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, no. I tell you what, you begin to change the instructions that you've received. You begin to alter the instructions. And you know, when you begin to change the instructions, things can happen that, you know, you wouldn't anticipate in happening otherwise. So, for instance, my change to the instructions, as I observed other drivers, was, you know, you, know, you, you would jump a light. Anybody ever jumped a light? No, nobody's ever jumped a light in this place. You would jump a light. You would go through an amber when you should have been slowing down. You'd speed up. Or you'd, you know, you'd whiz round a roundabout or overshoot uh, a junction when somebody else was coming along when you should have stopped. And you, 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 you begin to alter the instructions. Well, one day I'm going up through Merthyr. It's a lovely sunny day. And I'm going up the high street. There's pubs everywhere, right, on this one particular high street. And they are bursting at the seams. Everybody's in the pub having a pint. Fantastic. It's proper Merthyr. Fabulous. And I'm going up there. Of course, now I'm confident. Window roll down, music on, multitasking. You know, mirror signal maneuver. That's gone out of the window, man. Forget that. I'm confident. I'm a driver. I'm the man. And then suddenly, up over the horizon, the sun blinds me. And before I know it, I'm smack bang into a parked vehicle. And literally, my mate is sat beside me. And our world, which is going about 35, 40 mile an hour, comes to a sudden stop. His Peter's pie splats all over the window, right? His chips are everywhere. My chips are hanging out of my mouth and spat everywhere. And suddenly, everything's come to a stop. And do you know, like sometimes when things happen suddenly, everything goes into slow motion. I don't know if you've, if you've noticed that. So in my mind, I can see this pie hitting the window with force, spraying everywhere. And then this little crack in the side of the, in the, side of the windscreen, and it just shatters into tens of thousands of pieces in front of us, and we come to a stop. All of the pubs immediately out. We are now the new entertainment that's just arrived. I'm telling you now, you've got the women there with their mini skirts and their gold on, coming up, looking, looking over, laughing. You've got the kids coming out, running around the car, you know, swearing, and, and oh, you idiot, and you feel a complete lemon. And then you've got the men coming up to you, well, boy, if you wouldn't have been doing that speed there, boy, and if you'd have been, you know, driving carefully, you wouldn't have crashed, would you, boy? But now look at the mess you're in, boy. And it's a complete mess. It's an absolute nightmare. And I feel completely. And I just think, oh, man, 
my world, my new car, or my second-hand car. It's over. My driving life is gone. Policeman comes, and you know, I mean, I haven't got any gripe with the police. But uh, he said to me, he said, well, my boy, he said, you're not going to be driving this home tonight, do you? The door pillar is completely bent in. The windscreen is shattered. The passenger door is wrecked. The bonnet is ripped open. Passenger side wheel, there's a big flat on it. And then the policeman says, listen, you're going to have to get this towed away. It's going to cost you 300 quid. 300 quid. I'm an apprentice. I haven't got any money. I think 300 quid. But I am very resourceful. It's a gift I have. It's not always a good gift. He goes, I said to my mate, I said, mate, there's no way I'm paying 300 quid to get this towed. I said, we're getting the spare wheel on and we're putting it on and I'm going to drive this thing out of here. Shattered windscreen, right? All the pub out, well, boy, you wouldn't be doing that if you hadn't done this and whatever. And Right, the whole logistical nightmare that it was, I put the wheel on, I sit in the car and I'm just looking through a shattered windscreen and I need to get 25 miles home. I've got to drive down a dual carriageway and I've got to go all kinds of routes to get there. And I don't know how I'm going to do it. Start the car up and I just keep on going. And I'm looking through this windscreen and the car is veering to the left, to the right. There's cars peeping their horns. I mean, it's a crazy situation. In the end, I wind down my, dri- my driver's side window and I'm looking out of the window, driving down Merthyr Tidville and then onto the heads of the Valley Road and all the way home. And I get, I get the car home and I think, my God, that was a crisis, an absolute crisis. Do you know what? I learned a lesson there. When you tamper with the instructions, you change the outcome. You change and you tamper with the results. I tampered with the instructions. I made up my own highway code in the end. And as a result of that, a real bad collision occurred where I went head-on with a parked vehicle. But more than that, I realized, and I don't, you know, I don't advise you to ever do this. Don't ever try driving home with a shattered windscreen because your perspective, your vision is completely shattered completely broken to the point that you'll end up doing things that you shouldn't do. You'll be veering here and veering there and nearly colliding with everything that's coming your way. When your windscreen is shattered and you try to drive a car, going forward is dangerous. Believe me, I've got experience to prove it. It's like that with life. And that's what Paul is saying. You see, in our minds very often, there are areas that are completely broken, just shattered like that windscreen. And going ahead, we're trying to peer through all of the broken pieces of a broken life and a broken past and thoughts and mentalities that are not going to help you. Well, the great news is this. God's got a new windscreen for you. He really has. 
He's got a brand new windscreen in pristine condition. There's no cracks in it. You don't have to look outside of the passenger window. You don't have to keep looking in the rear view mirror. You know, when I was, when I was taking that, that car down the heads of the valley with a shattered windscreen, it's weird what your senses begin to do. Because the only, you know, sort of clear view is in your rear view. That's all you're doing is looking back, looking back. But you're going forward and it's dangerous. You can't do that when you're driving a car. Do you know very often when we've got a broken mind, when we've got a broken life, all we do is look back because it's clearer to look back than it is to look forward. But God wants to give us a new windscreen. God wants to remove that shattered life experience so that we're not afraid of the future. We're not afraid of new situations. We're not afraid to take hold of everything that he's got for us. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, you don't have to be conformed to that old way of thinking. You don't have to accept that broken, shattered windscreen. You can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's like he's saying, listen, you're getting a brand new windscreen from God. He's going to heal our minds. He's going he's to set us free. He's going to make us whole so that you can be ever he has designed you to be. Amen. Amen. I tell you now. It's wonderful. It really is. Now, this morning I just want to refer to something that I'm sure lots of you will be aware of. Where not just one person had a broken windscreen, but a whole nation had a broken windscreen. I'm talking about the children of Israel when they were in Egypt. They had been slaves. If you don't know the story, there were people that the Bible talks about called Israel, God's people. And they were living in a place called Egypt. They'd been slaves there for 430 years. That's a long time. That's a lot of damage occurring in your mind, in your head, on the windscreen of your life. That's a shattering, broken process that those people went through for 430 years. And they had it, and they were hammered from one generation to another generation. And there was no hope for them in the end. Until, the Bible says, they began to cry out. And they didn't even cry out to God. They just started to cry out their ache of their life. Are you there today? Oh, man. Inside, there's a groan. There's a cry. Oh, if my life could just be different. If I hadn't have been born where I've been born, if I hadn't have gone through the, the, the set of circumstances that I've had to go through, if I could just be like him, or if I could be just like her, oh, my life would be so much better. And there's a silent groan, there's a silent ache of discontent within you because you're just fed up of looking through the shattered screen, fed up of just looking through all of the different broken, fragmented pieces and trying to go forward. It's easier to look in the rearview mirror at what's gone than it is to try and piece together everything that's coming towards you. Israel were like that. And they were groaning inside. Oh, if life could just be different. And it says, be encouraged now. It says... God heard their groaning. God heard it. God heard it. The Egyptians didn't care about it. They wanted to keep them 
under their heel with that broken windscreen, with that shattered picture of the future. They wanted to keep them as slaves. They didn't want them to go free. And, our, and the world around you and the messages that are bombarding your life doesn't want to give you freedom, doesn't want to tell you that you can rise into everything that God's called you to be. There's a real enemy at work here. The God of this world. He wants to keep us as his slaves. The story is so apt and it parallels our lives so well. These people, 430 years in slavery, God hears them. God hears that, oh God, please, I want a marriage like that, that marriage over there. I want, I want friends like those people over there. God, please, he hears the cry of your heart, he's going to answer it. I'm telling you now, because he loves us. He's going to give you the marriage that you want, that you've cried to him for. He's going to give you the friends and the family that, that you're desperate for. He's going to give you it. And he's not going to let anything spoil what he's intended you to have. If you'll believe, if you'll give him access to all areas of your life as Lord, he'll change your mind, he'll change that windscreen so that you go down the road of life and you'll be able to say, this is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice at what's ahead because he's Lord of it. Here's their groan. And he picks this man who's a broken man himself, Moses. Like Faye said last week, he's a stutterer. He can't even get a sentence together. When he was in Egypt as a young man, he was strong, he was polished. The Bible says that he was trained in all of Egyptian wisdom. He was an articulate speaker. He could stand toe-to-toe with any man, any pharaoh, and argue with them. Because he was trained in all the wisdom of Egypt. And then he killed a man. And suddenly he goes into the wilderness for 40 years. And at the end of that 40 years process, he's just got a broken windscreen. God turns up and he says, I'm going to change the windscreen, Moses. What do you mean, God? I'm giving you a brand new windscreen to see through. You're not going to stay in this wilderness. You're heading back to Egypt. Oh my God, no, not me. I'm a stutterer. I can't go before Pharaoh. Listen, I'm going to transform your life, son. I'm going to transform your life. Don't allow this wilderness to conform you. Don't allow it to mold you anymore. You've had 40 years of it. I'm now going to take you to a different place in your life. And you're not only going to set yourself free, you're going to set over 2 million people free by the time I finish with you. Because I am the Lord. He said, Lord, Lord, I've done this, I've done that. And there's a wonderful conversation between Moses and God in the wilderness. You can read it. And God says to him, doesn't even, he doesn't even answer M- Moses' objections. He says, I am that I am. Who shall I tell him that sent me? I am. Well, that's really confusing because what does that mean? I am. Just turn up and say that. I'll do the rest. And my God, did he do the rest? Did he do the rest, church? He did the rest. He goes into Egypt. He goes into Egypt. Long story short, he sets over two million people free by the power of God, right? But they're walking out, listen, they're walking out with a broken windscreen. All of these these people that have been 
punched and kicked and beaten and smashed by life. 430 years of messages of you'll never amount to anything. You'll always be a slave. You'll always work for us. You'll build our cities. You'll build our pyramids. You'll extend our lives. You'll extend our future. But you haven't got a future of your own. You haven't got a life of your own. You're under our power. You're under our heel. And suddenly God sets them free. And they're on a journey. They're on a journey. You see, you may not be where you want to be today, but thank God you're not where you were. You're on a journey. You're on a journey, church. And you may not be experiencing the level of freedom that you want to experience today, but I'm telling you now by the Spirit of God, by the time the Spirit of God is finished with you, you're going to be so free. You're going to be so liberated. You're going to be a city on a hill giving light and hope to everybody that's sitting in darkness. How do you think God's going to do that? He's going to do it through you and me. You're his greatest advert in Wales and any other church in Wales that, that God is moving in. We're his greatest advert for a lost, broken world. He gets them through the sea, or he gets them to the sea. Let me look at my time here. He gets them to the sea, and suddenly, you know, they're happy for a while. They, they, when you read Exodus 14, I encourage you to do it. Exodus 14 and 15, they get to the sea. And, you know, they've got a bit of ground under their feet. They've got movement. They've got direction. They've come out of Egypt with silver and gold, all of the, the wages that had been taken from them for hundreds of years. They're laden. They're loaded. God set them free, and they get to the sea, and suddenly they hear the Egyptians coming to kill them. And to hinder what the plan that God has for them. And they begin to fear. And all of the boldness goes. Have you ever been bold? Because, you, you know, you've, got, you've, got a, you've had a moment in your life where Jesus has spoken to you by his spirit. And you know he's spoken to you. And it's given you confidence again. It's revived your hope. It's given you strength inside to go forward. And then suddenly something happens in life and your boldness is, is reduced and melted into fear. And it was just like that for these people by the sea. Suddenly they lose their boldness, they lose their confidence, and they begin to resort back to an old mentality that's broken, an old suspicious mentality. They don't know what to do. They're like a wounded animal, and they begin to criticize Moses, and they begin to point at God, and they begin to say things like this. It would have been better if you'd have left us in Egypt. It would have been better for us to have remained slaves than to come out here and be killed and destroyed in this terrible wilderness. What is that? That's a broken mind. A shattered windscreen. A suspicious view that really, do you know what? God doesn't love me. He's not for me. He's actually against me. And then suddenly, God instructs Moses. He said, look, open the sea. And God opens the sea. As Moses raises his staff, over two million people go through on dry land. And they get to the other side. And suddenly, 
all of their past, that powerful past that's been so prevalent, so dominant, so strong in their lives, that, that, that past that has said, you'll never amount to anything, you'll never do anything, you haven't got a future, the only future that you have is under our heel, doing what we want you to do, that's all you've got to, to look forward to, that's all you've got to expect, suddenly there's a moment, and all of their past is coming towards them, it's in the middle of the sea, I wonder what God is going to do, he's a genius, perfect time. Perfect time. You see, sometimes you can think that God's delaying. You can think that, you know, God's not turning up. You should be here by now. It's getting worse. Can't you see the pressure that we're in? My past, the problems, the crisis. It's coming, it's attacking, it's on us. And God just waits quietly and silently. You see, there is, a, there is a scripture in the New Testament. It's a wonderful scripture. And it'll comfort you in times of difficulty. It's just a little verse. I think it was Paul who said it. It says, he works all things together after the counsel of his will. Not after the counsel of your little clock watch. Not after the counsel of your advice to him. You need to do it now. Didn't you say? Mustard seed faith can move the mountain and it's got bigger. No. He works all things together after the counsel of his will. Not our will. And that should comfort us. And they're in the middle of the sea. And he lets them just keep coming. Come on, boys, Everyone, every last one of you. Every one of you, come on, boys. And the Egyptians, with all of their might and all of their strength, their finest chariots, they're in the middle of the sea, and he waits till they're all in there because he wants to get every little last critter in there, every little detail of them all. And before he closes the sea, I, I mean, when I read it, I think, my, my Lord, this would mess with your head. Big time. It says he just undid the wheels of the chariots, first of all. Let's just take the wheels off for them. But this is the wild thing. This is how stubborn and how arrogant the Egyptians were. They still tried to go forward on chariots with no wheels. That's how hell-bent they were. That's how hell-bent Israel's past were. They still tried hard and fierce and aggressively to ride those chariots. I mean, you've got to have a sense of humor to see it. I, I wonder the children of Israel as they were looking, look at them, look at how foolish they are trying to ride their chariots with no wheels and God just undid. I think it was quick release. We've got quick release on the bikes. It was just a bit of quick release. He just took the wheels off and these, this, this army is coming through. And then, then God just said, Moses, lift your staff up, just close it. Close it all down now. There's no panic with God. Don't be panicked, church. Stand strong. Like Moses said, stand strong for today you will see the salvation of your Lord. And the Egyptians that you've been, that you've been enduring for the last 400 years, he said this, you will never, never see again. I'm telling you, there are things in our lives that may come 
But I'm telling you now, when God steps into those things, you will never see them again. Because when he releases and unleashes his power on a problem, on a circumstance, he's going to work it all together for your good. And he's going to craft it and manipulate it and work it after the counsel of his will and his plan for your life. Amen. Woo! Hallelujah. I'll have James back up here. We're going to close right now. But you know, and maybe I'll, I'll look at this in the weeks to come. Egypt represents a life of never enough. There would never be enough for them in Egypt. They would always be slaves. They would never hold anything or own anything. They went, they lived in Egypt. It was a, it was a life, it was an existence of never enough. Then God took them into a wilderness of just enough. Just enough to get by. Just enough food for today, but you couldn't take what you had today into tomorrow. It was just enough in the wilderness. But God wanted to take them to a land called Canaan, flowing with milk and honey, a land of more than enough. Let me tell you now, it's a perfect picture of the Christian life. We've come from a place of slavery. Paul talks about it in Ephesians. We've come from a place of slavery where we were dead in our trespasses and sins. A life of never enough. We'd never have enough to get by in life. Crisis would always hold us. The storm would always overcome us. Trouble would always beset us when our lives are outside of Jesus Christ. Never enough to deal with the issues of life. Never enough to be more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens us. Never enough to be everything that God has called and planned us to be. Never enough life when you're outside of Christ, just like the Israelites when they were in Egypt. But then... As you receive Jesus, he takes you through the sea. He deals with your past. But then you still sometimes, as you've gone over into a new land, you've still got a broken screen that you're trying to peer through. You've still got a broken mind. You're still trying to look out of the passenger seat when you're driving down the highway of life. And you, 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 your life is coursing this way and coursing that way. It's, it's a Christian experience. You know, we don't become perfect overnight. And it's a life of just enough. Just enough if I can get by today. Just enough if I can just, you know, resist temptation today and you fall into it. Just enough if I can just, you know, overcome this problem. Just enough, a just enough life. I know that I'm saved, but I'm not reigning in life with Christ. Keep going, believer. Keep going, follower of Christ. Because you're not just going to, you know, live a life of just enough. You're going to come into a place by the Spirit of God. A life where you can say, I've got more than enough. When they entered Canaan, I'm telling you now, the first generation died because they wouldn't accept what God wanted for them. They always looked through that broken windscreen at him. But when the next generation took God at his word and said, you know what? We're not going back to Egypt, a life of never enough. We're not going to stay in this wilderness, a life of just enough, just enough manner today, just enough love for my marriage, just enough, you know, connection with my friend. No, we are going to go over into a life, into a spiritual experience of more than enough where he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or think. That promise is to us, my friends. I'm telling you now, and God is going to unpack it. God is going to unpack it on your life. 
You're going to see with your eyes God do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. Paul knew this and he spoke it to the church on every occasion. He said, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He didn't say, listen, God's going to supply your need according to your need. If I need a pound and you give me a pound, thank you, you've met my need. But God doesn't operate like we operate. He says, I will supply your need, not according to your need, but I will supply your need according to my riches. It's overflow. It's abundance in every area. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, not a never enough life, not just a get by life, but a more than enough life, an abundant life. I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly, higher in quality, more in quantity. And that is, the, that is the God we serve. That is the God we serve. And I'm telling you now, as we, as his people, go into his presence collectively as a family, as in our own private times devotion, you're going to find in increasing measure the Lord just packing and unloading blessing and treasure, whether it be physical, tangible, outward things, or inwardly, you're going to know it and you're going to sense it. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's give him a shout this morning. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for being our friend. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for taking us from that place of slavery where we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And we thank you for holding us and just beginning that friendship and that relationship with us. You may be here this morning and you've never asked Jesus into your heart. You've never prayed a prayer. Listen, you, might be, you may feel this morning like those children of Israel did for 430 years. I just haven't got enough. It's, I'm living a never enough life. Many of us in this room were just like that. Never enough to meet the challenges of life. Never enough peace. Never enough joy. Never enough security. Jesus has come. Because he loves you. And he wants to give you a more than enough life. When he is Savior. When he is Lord. When you just call on him and say, Lord, come into my life. You will have more than enough the first thing you'll get is peace, a sense of his love, his arms around you. And right now, I want to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer. There may be one person more. You just want to pray a prayer. Let's close our eyes this morning just in respect for those who are here and you've listened this morning, you've sung, and you've been in this place. And you want to ask Jesus into your heart. You say, listen, I don't understand much about Jesus. That's fine. Neither did I. I was in a tent in a field at 15 years of age. I didn't have a clue. But I knew that I had to reach out just with a little quiet whisper inside and say, Jesus, please be my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. I believe you're alive. I'm going to do that with you right now. Pray this prayer. Just say quietly in your heart. Say, Jesus, I ask you 
right now to be my Savior. I open my heart. Please come in. Thank you for forgiving me of all of my sin. I accept your peace, your love, and your forgiveness right now. Now, while eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer, would you quickly lift your hand up? We'll give you a little Bible. Is there one person here this morning? That's it. Well done, Paul. Excellent. Is there anybody else? You prayed that prayer. It takes courage. You know, you may be a little nervous. That's fine. Give you a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Lord Jesus, I thank you for every person here this morning. Lord, I thank you. If there are areas of our lives, just like that shattered windscreen, Lord, I pray that you take it, you'd remove it, and you'd put a clear, you'd bring clarity in our minds. You'd take away the confusion, weigh the broken screen, and Lord, that clear, beautiful picture, that screen that you've wanted to give us and place in us, Lord, we pray that you would do it right now and that we would truly experience transformation. Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus praise in this place.